0: Welcome to another edition of Objection to the Rule. I'm Ori Givens. Coming up on today's show... We're going to talk about the volley thrown by President Trump against former President Obama. Why are they throwing accusations again? Plus, we are going to talk with an artist who is making a statement against President Trump in an art display that happened a couple of weeks ago in Trump Tower. That's what we've got coming up on Objection to the Rule. We've got a full host of panelists, so join us for the fun. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hey.
1: Good morning. Good afternoon, rather.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really, we're getting a really hot mic. That's interesting. Turn,
1: welcome to Objection to the Rule. Oh, I'm on the, hi. Hi. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm going to lean back. we got a hot mic. Yeah, I think it's, right. it's the new mic. <laughs> yeah.
2: I think mine's pretty loud, too.
0: Yeah, we'll
1: play. We'll just sit back and relax here as we. Yeah, <laughs> we gonna <laughs> figure out crazy stuff.
0: mic scenario. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about on this episode, President Trump accused a former President Obama of basically withholding information about the uh, investigation into Russia possibly interfering in the elections. So why at this point do you think President Trump is throwing out these kind of random Twitter accusations? Like what what would be the benefit at this point?
1: Uh. Maybe he knows he's in trouble, and he's trying to deflect and point blame elsewhere. That seems pretty consistent with his yeah. past behavior.
2: Distraction.
1: Um, th- throwing out wild Twitter accusations isn't really a new. That's kind of like par for the course <laughs> with Trump. But I think, um, as as we we now know that e- the FBI is is looking into him with relation it. To um, possible Russian interference with our elections. I I, I think he's feeling the the heat and the pressure. um, And he might. This is his way of handling it and says, what about the other guy? What about this? What about that? You know, it's. I mean, personally, I. If if it were me, I'd shut my mouth, but.
0: (laughs) It seems like it's just more deflection, right? Yeah. It's another way to kind of like distract from what's going on. Um, What do you. Do you think that at this point there, should President Obama have come out with the information earlier? Do you think that it would have been in any best interest for him to do that?
1: Not sure. I mean, I got to wonder if he wasn't under some legal advice not to. I mean, I don't know what the motivation was there. Was it something that was under investigation? You don't want to real too much about an ongoing investigation in its early stages um it, it could be any number i want to it, we could speculate like all sorts of right. ways it's yeah. really
2: impossible to know what's going through obama's head
1: right. right um i mean he i think obama personally um had a much firmer working knowledge of law yeah. <laughs> and investigative yeah. I mean, procedures government. Yeah. and government um so it, it, he may have been acting on that that knowledge and information that he had personally that mm-hmm. working knowledge you know it, it, he might not have wanted to possibly compromise an investigation early on Um uh, maybe I, I don't
0: well in the timing yeah. i think one of yeah. the things was about the timing you know the he, there was the worry that it could have additional influence right you know, in, mm-hmm.
1: he you may know. he may have wanted to not be seen to be influencing the election um quite possibly uh yeah he he you know we know um trump has an attorney, his attorney has an attorney. (laughs) I'm sure,
3: you know, Obama's counsel might have
1: said, listen, this is not the best, you know, wouldn't be prudent at this point to Mm -hmm. discuss this sort of thing, you know.
0: So another thing that has been in the news is Donald Trump or President Trump being sued uh, by groups because of possibly, or actually deleting tweets and how that relates to the Presidential Record-Keeping Act. Um, it, It is very interesting to be in a time where one Twitter is a matter of record. You know, like the everything that's tweeted by the government is, is a matter of public record. Public tweets become, um, you know, part of the the kind of archive. And we know that there have been many times where president Trump has deleted some tweets that he's put out. Mm-hmm. And now there is a question of whether or not that is legal um, because of the need to keep records of communications from the white house. Um, I'm curious, you know, because it's obviously I I don't see why there is a debate about this, honestly. Like, it seems like this is just something that it is a part of the communication strategy for the White House. I think that the the difference is that he's using two different accounts. But I'm curious to know why why wouldn't we want to keep these? Why? I, I don't understand. Why do you do you see a reason why we would not want to have the records of all of these tweets? Like.
1: I see no reason why, and I think part of why we have the Public Records Act applying to Twitter and why there are official White House accounts mm-hmm. that elected officials usually typically use, kind of like your work account. You know, mm. um, it's understood that social media is a form of communication, yeah. um, and and so it, I, why wouldn't we want a record? I don't know. Uh, I think we should we should have a record. And again, the issue, an arch, and arc and a professional archivist explained this to me recently. Mm-hmm. You know, the the thing with Trump. Versus even his own vice president Pence is that he's deleting tweets coming out of a personal account. You know, you can if you delete something coming out of an official White House account, there's still a record of it kept. There's like there are records of this. There's a, a you know, it's it's we can still look up what was deleted, mm-hmm. why it was deleted. Oh, a typo, um, misinformation. I don't know. Just like it, ways to manage how much how many bytes of data. Yeah. You know, we have a record of it, and there's none of that that's we're and he's kind of speaking through his own personal account as though this is official communications and then he's deleting it. So that, that's why the law applies is because he's been doing all of this out of a personal yeah. account. If it were out of a, a White House account, even deletions, it's all managed. We still have records of all that. Mm.
0: So There's another part of this too is that there apparently is a lot of communication that happens um, between staffers and, and, you know, members of, of, of various, you know, governmental or organizations that's happening on apps like Signal or apps where the communications can be encrypted and they automatically delete or they automatically, you know, kind of self-destruct. Um, you know, there's kind of always been that discussion about adding, you know, as technology advances, how do we, you know, kind of make the the laws match the technology? Um, do you think that they have a claim that using these types of apps is somehow, you know, prohibitive to transparency I, I mean I I see a really good argument for not using some of these apps that could prevent us from mm-hmm. keeping records um, but at the same time I do see the need for encrypted messaging so kind of how do you I guess how do we address that right that need for secure messaging but also the need for archiving?
2: I think that I think the the American people has a right to know most of what's going on in government you know some. I guess there is an argument there's some sensitive information that like it would be harmful to to have out in the public right away but you eventually should know that so if it's destroyed you can't know that ever it,
1: you you can have encrypted information and have it stored so that it's you know maybe confidential communications things of a sensitive nature aren't so readily accessible but there's a record of it and Mm -hmm. that you know something that could be decrypted you know should should the need arise
0: i think the bottom line is that there you know we have to have these these communications accessible we have to have transparency to know what's going on and i feel like this idea that there would even be a debate on whether or not these things would be included and would be accessible and would be saved speaks to kind of where we are in talking about information. You know, one of the things that has been um, discussed this week is the um, press secretary or former press secretary, I think he's now moved on to a different role, um, not having briefings on video. So there's no recordings of press briefings, which, you know, it seems like, we're going to a place where information is getting harder and harder to
1: get. Right.
0: That's what's kind of scary about all this.
1: And and also the only information then that's coming out there is whatever say someone wants to tweet mm-hmm. and maybe delete later. So there's mm-hmm. no there's where's the record of it? Where's where's the correspondence? Where's the communications? It's a very it really it's a very manipulative kind of tactic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's to, I'm going to control the flow of information so tightly that. I'm not even going to appear to be transparent. Yeah, <laughs> it's, not it's, even,
0: I'm not even going to try.
1: It just—it's kind of like I feel like we're back in the era before television a little bit with this. I mean, that's—it's yeah, yeah, well, it's
0: that's kind of but, interesting to think about. Like we are—we and we've been kind of conditioned to have all of this access, like, right? Even though it hasn't been fully transparent, I feel like we in the television era and the internet era, we are used to just having more information. Um, but now that's kind of different. We—we we are not able to expect the same access
1: right Mm -hmm. and it kind of makes you suspect of whatever information that is coming out
0: absolutely like you have to be you have to kind of look at it like what are we missing now what are we not getting
2: and it makes press so much more important because if they have a documentation of a tweet that then gets deleted that's that's our that's all we got right
0: absolutely so another big story that's in the news the uh trial of bill cosby um declared a mistrial and you know this it, 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 there's a lot of different pieces to this um I'm curious to know uh, just about your thoughts on the trial overall um and the um the woman that brought or that was able to bring forth um, allegations and actually get them to trial Angela Constant and there the the interesting part of this is that these charges or these allegations are from a long period of time ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And so many of the women that did come forward because of statutes limitations and things like that were not able to actually put forth any criminal charges or try to press for any criminal charges. So this is the, it's like one case that really represents a whole bunch of different Mm -hmm. cases. Um,
1: But what are your thoughts
0: on on the case?
1: I'm not surprised it was a mistrial because this is the sort of case that's notoriously difficult to prosecute um, in any state, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's, and it's, we're, we're talking about someone who was this, icon bill yeah. Cosby's just this right. icon um and his he's kind of had this fall from grace if you will from in the public eye but i am not i'm a little sad that it was a mistrial but i'm not surprised um you know it's it's i think it really shows us i, I think it's opened up the door to conversation about why is it so why don't women come forward right. mm-hmm. um the kind of and i think it's it given us a real glimpse into a certain type of personality that um, Bill Cosby appears to have, where you know, someone who it, it explains, you know, can understand why why people identify with their abusers, or yeah. they they don't even realize they're in that situation, they're being abused by somebody until mm-hmm. that, you know, I think it's gonna open up a, a door for a lot of conversation that we all need to have. Um, I'm glad it something happened. I think there was some of this dates back, the, the allegations date back so far. I was kind of surprised that you were able to actually build something that build enough of a case that it could be heard and go to trial because some of this these it was just the evidence was so old. Yeah. Um there were statutes of limitations, people are afraid to come forward. Um you know um I I, I and
0: through the yeah. years people did come forward and right. they were either settled or, or right. kind of squashed those allegations. So it's when you're talking about somebody that was this is powerful and as well known as, as Bill Cosby. And, you know, people don't want to believe that, you know, this father figure from television is capable of doing right. and things.
1: If you're a victim, alleged victim, then, you know, do you want, you look at who you're accusing. Do you want your name put out there? Mm-hmm. Do you, or do you feel your safety personally is going to be at risk? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, I, you know it's are, are you how easy is it going to be for you to move forward and function your life if you come forward there's all these different things that c- come into play why someone comes forward and someone doesn't mm-hmm. um that's that's i think um one of the things that has i know i've mentioned this um i think we have someone at the door um, one thing that has surprised me about this is um Cosby's response now. I know um, the prosecutors have basically stated we're we're going to keep pursuing this because it was a mistrial. They, they do intend to pursue further legal action. But what has really surprised me is Cosby's response now. He's going to hold these town halls on um yeah that was and that that was the <laughs> That's new news that, that really that came kinda... out.
0: Is, is, <laughs> he's going to hold a series of town halls um, about sexual assault and the legal system. I what
1: uh i mean th- i've i pers- i've known people who have been falsely accused i mean it's good to understand the laws and your rights and but I, it's very weird it's 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 just so pot and kettle but i think it speaks also to his his thinking and where his mind is and i i don't think he realizes that what he has allegedly done is wrong yeah i think there's a real lack of understanding like maybe on his part, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, no, it's, it's, it's not cool. <laughs>
0: Nobody wants to hear you talk about that. Like no one ever wants to hear, I, you know, I, I can't I can't imagine what he would have to say. What things would be, you know, I, I don't understand what benefit that would be. Is it just about maybe, pre, you know, preserving his legacy? Right. Which Or putting know,
2: him back in the like teaching role. Yeah. You know, yeah. The dad you know trying to
0: reclaim, us. you know, right. unless he's going to get out there and be like, you know, I did these horrible things. Like, you know, I just don't see the value. Um,
1: it might be trying to save f- him, trying to save face, and, yeah. and point the finger. Also, right. you know, now, somewhere else. Is it?
0: Is it kind of like? Um, his way of like, oh, if you're a guy, this is how you can avoid being in this situation, but not necessarily like maybe it was like when the when yes. the one guy, um Brock Turner when he was going when he um he was they were planning him to do like a, a tour to right. encourage people like to, about the dangers of drinking and sexual, you know, something like that. So maybe it is something like that, which I still don't. Yeah,
1: I'm not hearing yeah. in this like description of the town hall meetings, things like, listen, this is what consent is. Let's talk about consent. Let's talk about, you know, um, it, it, things like uh, healthy right. interactions with people. I mean, more like we're hearing about how to like not catch a case. Exactly. Catch a case 101. That's There's what some I of mean. About that, and I mean, this is also something that a uh, story that's kind of resurfaced recently is that, um, and again, go and I talk about this because I think it points to where Bill Cosby's thinking is. Is you know, his daughter alleg- was allegedly assaulted by Mike Tyson many years ago, and you know, she told her father about this, and he didn't wasn't even with all the power and the clout that he had, wasn't like, all right, no, we're gonna press charges. We're gonna no. He he actually dissuaded her from. Um, pressing any charges and then I believe, you know, his people went to Mike Tyson's people and his daughter tells a story about, you know, he insisted that Mike Tyson just get some counseling and mm. his daughter is out at some function sometime maybe within a year of this incident, sees him and is, of course, you know, there's my attack. I, she explains being very terrified, especially just seeing him, but then he approaches her and yells at her and says, you know, because of you, I have to go to therapy for a year. Wow. <laughs> so, it, wow. you know, there seems to, I, I think it points to, um it's kind of like past trying to what prosecutors tried to do was demonstrate a pattern of behavior with cosby but i think this kind of plays in is another example of the pattern like no you don't the whole like no, you don't need to prosecute men or like not understanding that there's a line that's been crossed like yeah. ethically morally and legally you yeah know, it's like
0: i think you know, it, no i think it is a combination okay. of all those things and, and just in a lack of really understanding of the depth of how, you know, he can kind of be in a bubble. And I feel like, you know, he's had all these people that are probably like, yes, people that are telling him mm-hmm. that it's not really as bad as it seems, but then, you know, it really is kind of bad. And so I think he's kind of, you know, maybe this, it, I, I feel like it's like a last ditch effort to kind of say, I'm not this horrible person that mm-hmm. people are trying to make me out to be right now. Right. Well. I think it's time for a track. We're gonna play some music. We got some new music from one of our favorite bands, Deatrice, so I'm gonna play that for us, and we'll be coming back to talk about healthcare in America, right here. <laughs> the way you said On objection <laughs> to the rule. You did not. I was... Circle up, cause
1: now it's
4: up in my head, in my dreaming.
0: Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. So we're going to spend the next couple of minutes talking about the Senate's decision to put forth a bill about health care and the reaction to it. So here's Violet with some more.
2: So... Um... Senate uh, Republicans just unveiled their uh, new attempt to replace Obamacare, um, which was drafted in secret by the Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and about 10 of his comrades uh, in the Senate. Um, And it keeps some popular parts of Obamacare. Uh, People under 26 can keep their parents' insurance. uh, And there's some pre-existing conditions that are accepted unless states get a waiver to refuse them, which shouldn't be too difficult under this law. Uh, But uh, low-income Americans who rely on Medicaid would see a cap on their coverage as uh, federal aid to the program winds down, abortions would not get a tax break, and Planned Parenthood would have to wait about a year for Medicaid reimbursement, Uh, although wealthier Americans can get a tax break because the Obamacare taxes on the wealthy and corporations would be over, so there would be no need to pay the difference for expanded coverage. Uh, so, now we can hear a clip from Mitch McConnell himself, who spoke on Thursday in defense of the bill.
3: We agreed on the need to free Americans from Obamacare's mandates, and policies contained in the discussion draft will repeal the individual mandate so Americans are no longer forced to buy insurance they don't need or can't afford, will repeal the employer mandate so in- Americans no longer see their hours and take-home pay cut by employers because of it. We agreed on the need to improve the affordability of health insurance and policies contained in the discussion draft. will do that. It will eliminate costly Obamacare taxes that are passed on to consumers so we can put downward pressure on premiums, expand tax-free health savings accounts, and deploy targeted tax credits so we can help defray out-of-pocket costs and ship power from Washington to the states so they have more flexibility to provide more Americans with the kind of affordable insurance options they actually want. We agree on the need to stabilize the insurance markets that are collapsing under Obamacare as well, and policies contained in the discussion draft will implement stabilization policies so we can bring financial certainty to insurance markets and hope to Americans who face the possibility of limited or zero options next year under Obamacare, and ultimately transition away from Obamacare's collapsing system entirely so more Americans will not be hurt. We also agree on the need to strengthen Medicaid, preserve access to care for patients with pre-existing conditions, and allow children to stay on their parents' health insurance through the age of 26. I'm pleased that we were able to arrive at a draft that incorporates input from so many different members who represent so many different constituents who are facing so many different challenges. The draft containing the solutions I mentioned, along with many others, is posted online, and I encourage everyone to carefully review it.
2: Uh, so there's Mitch uh, talking about how proud he is of his new bill. Um, but not every Republican, even in the Senate, agrees with him on that. Uh, it would only take two dissenting Republican votes to kill the bill, uh, and they're hoping to vote before the fourth. But um, at, uh, four spoke up right away, four Senate Republicans, uh, announcing their uh, distaste for the bill, um, mostly because of what, it, what remains of Obamacare inside it. Um, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Ron Johnson, and Mike Lee released a joint statement on Thursday saying they couldn't support the bill in its present form. Here's Rand Paul talking about that.
5: Myself and three other senators are releasing a statement as we speak, and this statement will say that we cannot support the current bill. We're open to negotiation, but we want the bill to look more like a repeal. Um, We're afraid that when we read the bill, that it actually looks like a reiteration or a keeping of Obamacare. We think that the idea that we're going to allow the death spiral of Obamacare to continue, but we're going to subsidize it, is just not a very Republican notion. This uh, group will be uh, Senators Cruz, Senator Lee, and Senator Johnson and myself. And together that's enough to take down this bill? The intention is not to take down the bill. The intention is to make the bill better. And I believe the, the leverage and the count of four people is enough that hopefully those who wrote the bill will say we want some or all of their votes and therefore we'll try to make the bill look more like a repeal bill and less like a reiteration of Obamacare bill
0: all right we got a chance to hear we read from, the,
3: to free Americans from Obamacare's
0: the clip we got to hear from senator mitch mcconnell explaining um, the that he thought he got with the version of the bill, and then we got to hear from the dissenting Republican senators um, on why they could not support the bill. Um, the general consensus in, in the media that this has been a bill that was not really for the people, like it was not a bill that's going to help anybody get access to health care more cheaply. It's not going to help people that are suffering because of costs. Um, it's not really going to lower premiums. What are your thoughts on this version? Um, do you agree with kind of the consensus, or do you think, you know, McConnell did get a win uh, in, in this draft?
2: I, you know, I, I think that the bill is just, it's, a, it's sort of a, a redo of the original Republican repeal-replace bill, which was less coverage which more expensive it's just you know the younger you are the older you are you have to pay more and you get less of a comprehensive coverage mm-hmm. so i don't think it's helping anyone
1: what about you rachel or Dorian? um yeah I, I would agree it, it kind of feels like a, a redo of what happened in the house um i think that you know just i i i wish the republican side would acknowledge how much of the free market is already in place with the ACA because that was you know that I think I think what's part of what's driving up health care costs are the fact that you've got these private health insurance companies which are private businesses mm-hmm. ma- you know setting the prices right. um, drug companies setting prices for certain drugs um, it, you know it Obamacare uh, is what or I should I should say ACA um, is with that set up in place is a way for funding to be put in the right places for people to be able to purchase different plans um, that that it doesn't actually re- regulate the kind of care you get other than saying certain things you have to pay for like one copay free visit um wellness visit a year um you know everyone should have access to a physical um certain prescription drugs are covered basically you can't not cover women's health care i should just word it like that mm-hmm. um you have to uh, provide acts women with access to reproductive health care all of it um so th- things like that but i'm, I'm not I, I wish they'd acknowledge that there there's all this concern about the free market being in play in um, health care it's it's already there I'd, I'd like to see less of it. I'd like to see like some clamping down on on costs where we know we can legally do that well, <laughs> and
0: we have you know if you look at going you go to the doctor and you get tests and you 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 see somebody and you have all these itemized charges related to just going to get you know, a normal physical mm-hmm. exam. If you get, you know, a testing for, you know, blood work or, or things like that, those are additional charges. Everybody has a fee. And so I feel like there is a need to look at the the economics of specifically how much it costs to get healthcare. And right. you know, why do we have so many different charges associated? Why do we have so many methods of billing? All of these different things that cause the costs to go up. You know, right. the bureaucracy is so expensive and that's what, you know, that's why it's not going down. It's because it's so expensive to maintain. I don't know, you know, that's kind of the the burden of having so much of it controlled by as you said the free market by these mm-hmm. companies who are don't have a lot of, you know, other than what we tried to do with ACA, didn't have a lot of regulation on on how they right
1: and I I actually heard John Kasich say something this morning before I came over here to Radio Free Brooklyn for this show and I can't believe I'm on on the same like page as he is but he's he he was talking about health care and I know it seems like he he is a dissenting voice um, in Congress against this bill but he uh, he said you know very quickly he said you know when you, you can't expect people who are hungry and ill to work when, if you're fed and you and you're healthy, you have health care. These people, which those are the people who who get to work, and therefore you know they pay taxes into the system. I think that's you know if we want to talk about the free market. People who are you know if, if your basic physical needs are covered, yeah, you are you know it's this whole idea of like we're going to cut Medicaid, we're going to cut this, cut that. People who are, who are not healthy are less able to go to work and therefore pay taxes and. Mm-hmm. those fee- feed pay monies into the system that kind of keeps this it's cyclical you know yeah. if we provide uh and you know tech um a way for people to afford health care they're healthier therefore they are better off and they pay into the system that pays and it's kind of it's a secular thing and i've he a republican actually made sense today like he looked at it like hey it's it's the right thing to do we should take care of people um, but we, you know, it it just makes good sense. You yeah. Know, you're worried about, oh, where's the money going to come from? If people are healthy, they go to work and they pay their taxes, and that feeds the program. You <laughs> know.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's you know it's so interesting. You know, I've heard quotes about you know people. You know, if you want better health care, like there was a, I think there was a, a it was a congressman I believe that said if you want better health care, get a better job and things like that. And why? You know, it's just this attitude that it's you know the our basic needs to take care of our our health should be something that. We have to work for and fight for, like right. you know. I feel like this is something that, you know, maybe I'm just very like hyper liberal, and it just doesn't no. seem no. like it's something it's that we should have to. They treat healthcare like it's a privilege, and it should. Yeah, shouldn't. right.
2: It's right. It's so American. Maybe that's why we struggle so much. America struggles so much to have a, like comprehensive healthcare system because it's like you know it's still that ethos like every man for himself pull yourself up by your bootstraps if yeah. you can't get health care get a better job but right. you know for a collective health care system to work you have to acknowledge that we're codependent in some way mm-hmm. you know
0: right. well and i think that that kind of that that trope that you know that Boot, pull yourself up by your bootstraps is time and time again proven to be a fallacy. So why yes. do we kind of live under this idea that everybody's just out there doing it on their own? Because right. that's not happening. You right. know, nepotism exists. Exactly. <laughs> you know, right. So many of the things that people said that they got by their their own, you know, work, it was because somebody helped push them up and lift them up. Um, do you think we're going to get to a point where we're able to see like this common idea where, you know, things like healthcare? Are are universally deserved in America? Do you, do you think it's? I mean, do you think that we're going to be able to come to that kind of collective thought here? I I, <laughs> I would hope so, but I don't I don't know I don't yeah I don't I don't think so. Not anytime soon, unfortunately. It's Sad, but yeah. I don't I don't want to be the, the negative person, but I mean, like just look just, just look at us. Look, yeah, I look well, at our trajectory. It's, it doesn't it doesn't seem to be. It, Doesn't like it's going to be place where it's going right, to go exactly would you know i i'm the type of person that i think like if i had to pay more money in taxes to mm-hmm. ensure that people were able to get healthcare i'd be willing to do that and i think most you know people that see healthcare as a universal right, right. are also willing to do so um but we can't you know i i guess the question is how do we get legislators in place that also believe that because that's where the change needs to happen right we have you know these people were elected by the populace right and they're making these decisions that most Americans don't agree with or a majority of Americans don't agree with so how do we get the people that are going to make the actual decisions in place cuz it's it's bigger than healthcare it's about how do we get legislators we're
1: getting into like an even bigger issue yeah. in terms of how does you know uh, you know why do people vote the way they do but also why are certain candidates where are they coming from? Mm-hmm. Who's fu- who, the, the financial backing of mm-hmm. certain candidates? Why, like smaller, more independent, progressive voices, it's so hard for them to be heard when it comes to like even local elections, and then of course larger elections because of the financial backing that certain candidates have. And we're now we're getting into special interests and where mm-hmm. monies go and things like that. And I think the I, I I feel like I'm getting glimpses of of the the populace at large becoming more informed and educated about um just how things like like especially with healthcare, how it works yeah. um for example you know uh, there are states that are predominantly like a state like kentucky predominantly a red state voted for trump but High um, enrollment rate with the ACA. They're starting to realize. Oh, wait a second. This is you know that we we kind of followed our tradition culturally, if you will, of voting red, but maybe that's not in our best interest. You know, mm-hmm. or maybe we you know. So it's I, I think people are waking up. Yeah. So, especially when things like because healthcare really hits close to home for right. for everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. we all get sick at some point. Um, all the you know we're we're all going to die. <laughs> you know, we're all born. We all die. We're going to need a doctor somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. And that's a at the hits so close to home for so many people but we're getting we're getting into larger issues than like why are these people getting elected well who's who's promoting these candidates you know mm-hmm. who's putting out false information about their you know it used to be you had like negative advertising about your opponent in local races now oh, it's just God. like fake stuff all, you know? oh my gosh Ooh, so <laughs> it's just, yeah, like, right. it, it went to a whole other level in the last like couple of years it just like False, false I remember when smearing. the biggest
0: problem was like, oh, they did they, they did a smear campaign against it. It was like you know that's, negative and that's, that's mean, a, that's but so it wasn't like now a smear campaign. Yeah, <laughs> right. <so> <laughs> we're we're in a new we're in a new era for sure. I so you know I think we you know talking about in the in the kind of context of winners and losers. I feel like we as people <laughs> lost like and are continuing to lose with these decisions around healthcare. Um, I, you know, I'm, I worry, especially considering how, you know, vulnerability, um, for people that are sick, you know, it, it is not a, it, it, having an illness, especially having a chronic illness is something that can really, you know, take a toll and not just the actual physical pain or or illness, but the emotions, the, you know, needing to go to the doctor and all follow up with all these, you know, appointments and, 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 having the added burden of not knowing how you're going to pay for all of this is is not a way to keep people healthy i think i think it's 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 even more detrimental you mm-hmm. know, to somebody's health when they have to worry about if they can afford health care um so we'll leave this conversation there we're obviously going to be following this story um as it develops and when we come back we are going to join an artist who is resisting right in trump tower and talk to her about the uh, latest protests that happened there. So we'll be right back on Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Here's Kiki. Let's have a Kiki. Yes. What's up? It's
3: Pickles. We have a message.
1: Hey, I'm calling you back. Ooh, she's been a bitch tonight. And by bitch, I mean.
2: Just deserve.
0: back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We are happy to be joined on the phone by Jody Sperling. And Jody participated in an action last week um, as a part of a series happening at Trump Tower. So we're going to get a little more information about that and find out you know, what happened and, and get some more information about Jody. So Jody, can you hear us?
4: Yes, I can. Hi, Ori. Hi. What a great track that was. <laughs>
0: yes, I love that track. Let's Have a Kiki is a great time for sure. It's good for the weekend, too. It's New York City Pride weekend as well. So it's a good Absolutely. good celebration. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the action. It happened on June 14th, right? And tell me a little bit about yourself first and how you got involved.
4: Well, um, I'm an artist, a choreographer, and a dancer whose work... Really focuses around the issue of climate, and I'm interested in using art to sort of help cultivate climate literacy. And also, um, when I teach, I'm really focusing on what is the, you know, human body's relationship with the environment, and how can we as people become more sensitive to the impacts that we have on space—that you know, that literally the space around you—and then sort of more expansively on our Earth and the systems that operate in our natural world um and so katerina barta who's the who was the curator for the event at trump tower reached out to me because she was putting together an event um on trump's birthday in (laughs) trump tower um it's called art rising and it was 10 artists uh from different disciplines um dance theater visual art, performance, music, and um, it was really a celebration of art and an act of resistance in the sort of belly of the beast, (laughs) so to speak. Um, And, um, you know, I think that um, we're, we're in a culture, well, You know, arts are one of the many things that are threatened under uh, Mm -hmm. the current administration. And so first and foremost, this was a, you know, a celebration of art and art-making and also a call to um, support and save the NEA, which is uh, threatened by the proposed budget. Um, But I think um, more importantly, it was, uh, you know, an act of um, drawing attention to to the space itself, which was—I um, don't know if you're aware—but there's a public space inside of Trump Tower. It's called a privately—it's oh, um, a pop, it pops. Uh, you know, it's privately owned public space, and mm-hmm. Trump got a variance to build Trump Tower 20 taller. You know, 20 stories taller to be. Uh, you know that he would put in this garden and um, it's kind of shabby it's not well that you know that well maintained but he's uh, benefited to the tune of over half billion dollars um, by having those extra 20 stories and so we felt it was important to take charge of that space and to reclaim it as a, as a public and a community space that art can happen in and that gathering can happen in and resistance as well
0: can you talk to me about the energy that was in that space? You know, it's kind of interesting to think that there was an act of resistance against Trump on Trump Tower, you know, in Trump Tower um, and kind of weaving all these themes together. So can you talk to me about kind of what it was like in that space um, on the 14th You know, with all of these artists?
4: Yeah, I mean, it was. You know, we had meetings in advance that with, you know, in a conference calls with attorneys. Maybe <laughs> we weren't sure what kind of security there was going to be, and uh, we were a little apprehensive. I myself used props, and sometimes, you know, a little concerned about whether I was going to be able to bring my props through the, you know, the, the scanner. Uh, but and uh, but I, you know, scoped it out the day before, and I felt it felt like recon you know you're going mm-hmm. in and you're like literally checking it out looking at the security guards you know being friendly um, and we got in there and it was so uh, easy you know we, we we came in it was a, a gathering of of very positive people and we had a really positive energy and it was um, just a really uh, kind of energized mm-hmm. um crowd and we were kind of feeding off each other and uh, there were you know i don't have the it was probably like over a hundred it was probably about a hundred people it's interesting that space doesn't have a um capacity printed mm. anywhere most you know if you go to any kind of performance venue or any kind of room there's always like a fire code you know the, you know maximum capacity and they didn't have it in that space um and there were a couple of Um, security guards who were a little tense um, Mm -hmm. and they were sort of standing but they didn't interfere with the action at all even when it you know some of the performers were more um, direct in their critique (laughs) I would say Uh, you know there was a um, there was some very direct you know um, ad hominem critiques Mm -hmm. within the performance and you know what I was doing is a little more abstract uh, but there was no interference. At the end, um, there was a lot of a really strong show of support and applause. And there was one vocal uh, Trump supporter. There was a big chant. You know, everyone was like chanting, "Save the NEA." And there was one Trump supporter who is there in the area who is booing. And and um, you know, so but you know, he's allowed to have his opinion too. Absolutely. So it was a it was a peaceful gathering. It was an energized gathering um and there were no conflicts um and i think it was actually in some ways it was a very american gathering
0: mm-hmm. i want to know about the your dance specifically you're a dancer and that was the you know the performance that you brought to that that action can you tell me about the piece that you performed and kind of give us a, a a description as much as you can of of you know for the listeners and on what you performed
4: yeah so i've been developing for many years as dance style that's inspired by the work of Loie Fuller, who was um, a sort of pioneer of dance from the 1890s to the 1920s. And she used these enormous costumes of silk and had sticks inside. And she created these spiraling sculptural forms. And what I love about it is after now about 20 years of experimenting with her style and moving it into the 21st century. What I've discovered is that it can really teach me about how to connect the body to the environment and to the space, um, and it helps you visualize the forces that are all around you that you can't see, like air disturbance. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. If we had better vision, we could see air, but we can't. And so, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Um, and I think that one of the things that art can do is help. People see what's invisible, and also to help kind of uncover the truth. And I think that's the same thing that science is about. It, you know, artists and scientists are aligned in this way, and that we're both truth seekers. And that's why we're under attack right now, is because the truth is, uh, you know, endangered, and the truth is a threat. And so the first people, artists and scientists, right now, are under suppression. And also, you see that in Turkey, it's the artists and the scientists and, mm-hmm. the, and the intellectuals um, in Turkey who are being suppressed, and in any kind of oppressive regime. And so, the more that we can, you know, speak out and <laughs> speak the truth, um, the the freer we can become. So, what I did was basically um, a, a practice that I've started of uh, spinning, and so it connects. Um, with finding a meditative space, so I'll, I wear this apparatus that extends my body into space, and I enter into, um, uh, I begin s- re- literally spinning, and as I spin, I create different sculptural forms around the body, and those are sort of representative of the kind of motion that's happening all around you that you can't see, and it also represents the kind of planetary motion. And it helps sort of expose uh, the illusion of stillness because we're sitting here right now, you know, having this interview and I imagine it just feels like I'm sitting still, right? Mm -hmm. But we're actually on a planet that's, you know, not only is it spinning on its own axis, but it's hurtling through space, you know, orbiting the sun, right? And the sun is also in motion within the galaxy. So once you kind of upset that notion of, um, you know that illusion that we is persistent of stillness. It can help you tune into um, other realities that you might be missing, and so that's what that piece is about. It's it's not a directly anti-Trump piece, but mm-hmm. I think it was fitting for the, it was a moment of meditation and um, contemplation in a and and a, and a, you know I hope beauty in a place that is. Um, has a very troubled um, history (laughs) and a a lot of, uh, you know, let's say vectors of injustice are situated in that spot. And so if we can find these moments of contemplation and peace in really troubled places, that can be, help us understand that we can create transformation.
0: Absolutely. Um, What are, you know, thinking about the event and all of the different artists coming together to kind of, carry forth this message is um you know but not only against Trump but also to you know bring visibility to the issues of climate change the issues um of the suppression of the arts um what do you hope that people either that saw it or or or, you know hear about it what do you hope they'll be able to take away from it and how and carry it forward what do you what do you hope the next steps can become
3: well,
4: one of the critical things right now is there's, there's already, and it's only been a few months into the administration, there's a kind of fatigue from um, the sort of a sense of overwhelm of all of the terrible thing, things happening on all these different fronts. And it's sort of where do you begin to fight and how can you kind of continue to uphold the things that you, you, know, you believe in. And so one of the things that I think art is really important at doing is sort of boosting morale. Which, you know, even the military knows is really critical in order for this is a long-term struggle mm-hmm. that we're engaged in. And so I think gathering, talking, being with people is critical because it helps you feel better, right? And it empowers you. you help, it empowers you when you are with people and when you are talking. So one of the things that's interesting about climate in particular is that it turns out nationwide a majority, like 60 percent of people, are actually deeply concerned about climate change, but you wouldn't think of that because it never once made it into a mention in the debates. For instance, <laughs> you know, it's almost I always like I talk about that as almost like a um, dark matter, right? You know, it's there because they're not talking about mm-hmm. it, um, but in truth, most people are very worried about it, but they don't talk about it because they think that. Other people aren't concerned, so merely the act of talking about climate becomes what we, you know, what uh, performance theory, theorists like to say, performative, or it's it actually does something to talk about climate change. And if you make climate change is something that we actually need to s- integrate into our discourse on a daily basis every single action that we do every single thing that we do every single conversation we have throughout the day there's a cli- like there's a climate subtext to that action if you're going to Starbucks oh you know you're thinking about what is the you know I'm carrying this like plastic cup and this latte you know and him can think about like what is the impact of that mm-hmm. or what like if you're having a conversation with somebody like every like there is no way that your actions do not have an implication and it's not to make you feel about it's just to understand how we are connected and I think art does that really well it shows that we're not one right like everything that's coming out now about our consciousness right that we're you know these human beings are actually like billions and trillions of microbes you know, and where do we stop? And our gut bacteria begin, right? It's the same for communities, right? We are, we are a social species, Absolutely. right? And we need, we need to get together, make art, and understand how we connect together. Because the pro, the way that we're going to solve this climate crisis is together, you know. And it's like to understand, we like we need collective action, and the, we need collective action for resistance, for pro- literally for protest, we need to be putting our bodies in harm's way, right? And to protect the people who are vulnerable. Um, and that's in every front of this, this 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 war that we're in, you know? Absolutely.
0: So, I think the more that we can come together to talk about these issues, to make them part of our discourse, and think about our own activities, you know, at least we'll be able to make those small changes, even if, you know, our, our government isn't you know, doing the same, the things that we would like to see them do with regard to climate. Um, I want to give you a chance to let people know how they can follow you, how they can see. Do you have anything coming up um, that people can can connect with you or, or see you perform again?
4: Yeah. So um, my website is timelapse dance, and we're on all social media platforms. Timelapse dance on Facebook and on Twitter at timelapse dance, Instagram, timelapse dance. Um, and uh, yeah, we have um, we just finished a big season, and this was sort of following up on that about clouds um, and but we're going to be continuing that work and're I'm also going to be in the fall there's a residency with Human impacts Institute um, of a several artists all gathering around the issue of climate and the artists are visual artists, um, theater artists, um, architects, and it's and we're going to be doing. Whole uh, bunch of different projects. So if you want to hear about what comes out of that, um, you know, please stay in touch with us, follow us, get our sign up for our email newsletter.
0: Yes, and it, one more time before we let you go, let people know what your website and social media are. Again, Jody.
4: Yeah. So it's ta- the website is timelapsedance.com. and you can follow us at timelapsedance on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Jody Sperling, for joining us and sharing your experience at the action a couple weeks ago. We appreciate having you on Jackson to the Rule.
4: Oh, thank you, Ori. It was really a pleasure to talk to you today. And uh, good luck with with, um, your work as well.
0: Thank you very much. Have a good one. Everybody, it's the last minute of our show. Thanks so much for Jody for coming on. Thank you to our panelists for joining us. We will be off the air next week, but we will be back in two weeks right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. For all of us here, have a great weekend, a great holiday weekend. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.